Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fitz Nation and Off the Top. Apologies that uh, this is just getting to you on Thursday. Usually I have these uploaded on Wednesday morning. I uh, wasn't able to upload it yesterday. Put it out on YouTube last night. The YouTube editing is actually almost a little easier than the audio editing uh, as far as the way that I do it. But here it is, new podcast ready for you. It is the UFC featherweight veteran Charles Rosa. Uh, Charles Boston Strong Rosa, I should call him by the nickname. He's from Peabody, Massachusetts, which is just north of Boston. I have always identified with Charles Rosa since learning about his story um, in terms of where he's from and how he grew up and that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, a little bit different in terms of the growing up, but he played hockey. He played lacrosse. Um, you know, he talks about locker boxing, which if you never grew up playing hockey, uh, locker boxing is when you just put on your hockey helmet. And when you're a kid, you always have to wear a face mask. So helmet, face mask, and just your hockey gloves. Keep the gloves on and you can only hit in the head, right? In this day of uh, concussions and head injuries and all these things that we know are not good for us in the long term. That's what we were doing as kids. I never got in too many locker boxing matches, but anyways, uh, Charles Rose, I'm sure, was uh, a handful for any of his hockey teammates. This is a very interesting interview because he goes a lot of places where I don't think he's gone before. And the key to good interviewing, in my opinion, one of the keys, is to find out what hasn't been talked about. It sounds simple enough, but how many times do you watch an interview and they just kind of touch on the points that we know about? I know when I get interviewed for podcasts uh, from different MMA journalists and that sort of things, they tend to ask me a, a lot of the same types of questions, questions that if you've seen other interviews with me, you've probably heard that answer, how I prepare. Uh, what my favorite fight call is, what went down in Mexico City when I ducked under the table, right? They zoom in on these kind of topics that are very commonplace and these stories that I've already told, but they want me to tell it to them for their show. I'm here to tell you if you're out there interviewing anybody, if you have a podcast, or if you just like listening to podcasts and interviews, which you obviously do if you're here, pay attention to the interviews that get the stories that are not on the internet. That is what I strive to do on this show, to tell a fighter's story in a different manner, and that is what I did with Charles Rosa. It was a fantastic conversation. I think you will enjoy it. He fights on October 9th coming up. Here's Charles Rosa. All right. Charles Boston Strong Rosa, appropriately dressed with the awesome shirt. Hey, who thought up the idea for that shirt? Actually, I did. I thought, um, yeah. you know, I like the Bruins, so I changed the B to an R. Yeah. So I didn't feel the logo too much. Tape and then, on uh, it. Did they give you yeah, any? Little... Did they give you any crap for that? Have that? I don't know. Not, not really. I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it, like, no, I, I didn't. I didn't hear anything about it. And I, I, know, I gave some of the shirts. I think I gave one to Dana White before. I gave a there couple of people. Everybody liked. It. I, I like. I even gave one to Brad Marchand, who who plays in the Boston Bruins. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think there was any issues. Nice, and, uh, bro. I, yeah, so everyone was cool with it. That's awesome, dude. So from Boston, now in Florida, uh, getting ready for a UFC fight coming up again. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Charles. Like We were trying to line this up after your last one, your win, right? And then you went on a nice vacation. You went back up to the Northeast, did that whole yep. 
Massachusetts summer thing. So your summer's going well. And I was surprised that you were going to turn it around this quick. Is this surprising to you that you were? Um, I mean, I mean, this is what I love to do. I mean, I love to, to, to turn the fights around. I love to get back in there as soon as I can. So, you know, my manager, Jason House, called me with the fight and the opportunity. I hopped on it. I mean, I've had 12 fights with the UFC now. I've never turned one down yet. So, um, you know, I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been to Japan, yeah. you know, Stockholm, Sweden. I've been Mexico City where I fought Yair Rodriguez. I've been, you know, pretty much everywhere. I've even fought New York a couple times. So, I mean, I've been all over the place and, uh, you know, this is what I love to do. I love traveling. I love fighting. And then, you know, the other thing I love is food. So, yeah. those are my three favorite <laughs> we go. things. And now we get to come travel to back to the exotic UFC apex once again. Hey, so yeah. can I ask you something? Did you see the interview with Nick Diaz last week with Brett Okamoto? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I saw a, bu- a couple of basically like think, uh, the, the fallout was like he's sitting there talking about how he doesn't like fight week and he doesn't like to fight. And he, yeah, 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 like how he has anxiety and stuff. Yeah, and he constantly asks himself, Why am I doing this? Right? Yeah. I- I've heard other fighters kind of admit to this, albeit rarely. Uh, Brian Ortega, I did, yeah, like an interview GSP. With. yeah, and like GSP yeah, and Brian Ortega was one too, you know. Um, yeah. what do you think about that? Like, like if I ask you, the fight's coming up. What are you thinking? It's definitely a stressful thing. And anybody who said it's not stressful is a liar because there's so much at stake, you know, and you know that you're going to get locked in the cage with someone else that's, that's trying to kill you. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. And there's no getting away from that, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is what I love to do, you know, and the thing that helps me the most, I think my coach Charles McCarthy told me this a long time ago is whenever you feel that anxiety and that pressure and all that stuff, you know, you got to think your opponent is feeling the same thing too. And so like, as long as I know that, that my opponent is dealing the same thing I'm dealing, he doesn't have it any easier than me, then we're on an even playing field. So that right. helps me so much. And that helps me get through the fight week. That helps keep me strong, helps keep me focused and determined. It's not like I'm the only one going through it and my opponent doesn't have to go through anything. Like he's going through the same thing. So when we get in there, it's even playing field. So yeah. that's kind of what I like to keep in my mind. That's what keeps me, you know, mentally healthy and strong. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, nights that I go to bed and I'm thinking, oh, well, what's he going to do? What's, I'm watching video. What's he going to do with this? And then, you know, there's nights that I'm like 100% sure. But, you know, it's up and down. I think of all the scenarios, the ways I could win, all the ways that I could lose, all the mistakes I can make, all the good things that could happen. And, uh, you know, that, that that's normal. And if you, you know, don't have any anxiety, I think I also heard someone say that if you don't have any anxiety, there's a problem because you better right. get some. Because yeah, yeah. You're locked in there. So, right. It, I think it's normal for all fighters. Like, is it, I mean, I got to imagine it's really challenging to stay present as the fight gets closer. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's that, that sort of living with like stress like that can be a challenge. Yeah. There's no doubt. It's very stressful. And especially since like every time you fight in the UFC, you're basically, your job's in the line. I mean, they, 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 they can do whatever they want. You know, I mean, you could be on a four fight winning streak and you have one bad fight and it's the end of your contract. Like, you know what? We're just going to move on, go to somebody else. And then. So, you know, or if you're just a boring fighter, you know, some of the guys that are just like wrestlers and hold guys down that don't really go for the finish or they have a couple of decisions in a row. I've seen them cut guys after stuff like that. So there's always like that feeling like you're fighting for your job, you know, and uh, that's that's something. It's always something, you know, for me, it's yeah. like I fought three times at the Boston Garden in front of my family, fans, friends, kids I grew up with, you know, 20,000 people sold out arena. The, the Boston Bruins are watching the Celtics are there. Everybody's yeah. there. And they're watching me and I'm like, man, there's a little bit of pressure right now, but <laughs> I, I always come through, you know what I'm saying? And uh, 
it, it, it's part of the game and it's part of fighting in the UFC. And that's why I love the UFC because yeah. it's the biggest stage in the world. And that, that's where I want to be. So back to your Boston roots. Um, can you remind me what town are you from? Are you from Beverly? I'm from uh, Peabody, right next to Beverly. Oh, yeah. Peabody. Okay, that's right. I yeah. Knew you were yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I actually used to play hockey on the Peabody Beverly Flames. They were there. You go. Oh, the PB yeah. Flames. Yeah. I remember them when I was a kid. Peabody Beverly Flames. Yeah, you guys had you guys had a, a reputable team. I remember. It's like yeah, for us. I was from Cape Cod. You know, you guys were okay. you guys were not city kids, but closer to Boston, the better the hockey was. I feel like you know what I mean. Yeah, like, for sure, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, was, was really like, good and milk. Milton has produced a bunch of pros and, you know, even on the North shore too. All right. So North shore, but my question being like back to your roots of, and from as, as I understand it, your father, your uncle, your grandfather, all boxers. Yes. Yep. So when you're a kid, we still currently fights. Yeah. Your uncle, he's 54 54. and he fights. Yep. He's tough man. Masters division world champion right now. So, Oh my goodness. This is Tom the Bomb. Tom the Bomb Rosa. Tom the Bomb Rosa. That's him. My yeah. goodness. So I actually was with him right after my fight. I, that's where I went. I traveled right. a little bit. I went to Philly, and he went and fought in, Phil, in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. He went and he won. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Man, get him a Vander Holyfield. Yeah, Man. dude, that's Jeez. it. Get him paid. <laughs> um, but my question being, how did you view fighting as a kid, considering it was a bit of a family business? Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a family business. We had a different family business. You know, my grandfather started a wire company and that's why I think, you know, my grandfather, my uncle, my dad, none of them had like big names in boxing because that my grandfather had nine kids. My uncle Tommy has five kids. My dad had six kids. So like they didn't have the opportunity to do what I do. You know, I, I don't have any kids, you know, and uh, I have the opportunity to focus on training. I don't have to provide for a family, you know, like it's back then, basically, unless you're Mike Tyson or Amanda Holyfield, you can't yeah. provide for a family fighting for 500 bucks a fight as a boxer or just, you know, as, as something fun to do. So, you know, my dad was never able to pursue his dream of being, you know, a professional fighter and same with my uncle, you know, my uncle Tommy, he just kind of did it as a hobby, like yeah. be working, working all week and then go sneak off on the weekends to fight. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that, I'm blessed to be able to do what I do. And it's because of them that they've been able to set things up. So I'm able to to focus on fighting and, and do what I love to do. But like, why did they like, in terms of maybe it wasn't the business and how they supported, but it was something, yep. it was a passion. Oh yeah. No, you know? no. Like, like my dad played a little pickup hockey. He used to play football, but he's not getting into fights. And my yeah, grandfather no, didn't get into fights. You know what I mean? But that would, so, yeah. so for me, getting into a fight was like this kind of nasty back alley that's something on tv i don't want to you know if i get into fights that's bad news that's principal's office that's whatever but for you like how did you view combat and fighting yeah i mean i was raised tough i was raised to defend myself so, you know i grew up with two older brothers i have two younger brothers one of them lucas rosa that fights they would chase me around the house and i'd freaking be defending myself every single day like yeah. we work my ass all day long and we have full-size trampoline with boxing gloves and we used to that's how i think i really got tough is we used to have a trampoline in the yard and you know the full-size ones i yeah. don't see them anymore but we used to go in there and we used to just first one off or first one to tap out we just make up moves and we'd fight each other for hours we'd bring all of our friends over and have like big royal rumbles and it was just years of that, you know, and then we used to play hockey and do walker boxing. Yeah. But as far as you're asking, like how it was viewed in the family, it was, it was, it was a way of life, you know? I mean, that's what we did. You know what I'm saying? My dad never let us stay inside the house and play video games. So when you see kids now 
sitting in their room playing video games. Like, yo, if I came home and I was playing video games, I was getting my ass whooped. Like he would, I remember one time I was a kid, he came home, we we're playing, you know, we snuck like a Sega Genesis in the downstairs playing Mortal Kombat. He came home early for work. He ripped it right out of the wall, threw it in the street, freaking blasted with a shotgun. Like, what? Like, Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I remember pulling the Mortal Kombat game. Like, oh, at least we still got the game because he didn't. Somehow the slugs didn't hit. So that's, you know, that's how I grew up. I grew up, I grew up in a different type of household and things were a little different back then than they are now. But I think it's what made me tough and it made me who I am. So, you know, that's how I grew up. And, uh, you know, my Uncle Tommy was always like a great mentor towards me, like a yeah. big brother. But he used to, you know, always, you know, you know, he used to play a game when we were kids, like hide and go beat. Like I said, hide and go seek. We go hide, and then if you get found, like the last one doesn't get a beat. But if you get caught, he just whoop your ass. Like you know, I hurt you. you know yeah, what I'm right, right. You a couple pop pop body shots, and then you get you know the next find the next guy. So you're really trying to hide for your life. So just stuff like that. It's just like right. little things that made me tough. And then you know, playing sports, obviously, like hockey and stuff. We do locker boxing made me tough. I play. I was a triathlete, football, hockey, lacrosse, all contact sports. So your dad comes home early from work and he rips the Sega Genesis out of the wall and he shoots yep. it with a shotgun. Yep. That's it. That's, that's a while. You know what? Times have changed, Charles. That's yeah, proof positive right there. If my neighbor throws a Sega, a, an Xbox in the street and shoots it with a so shotgun, I'd be like, what is happening here? You know, yeah, hey, no, no doubt. That's why I'm saying times have changed. So, I, you know, I was, I was raised the old school Boston way. Yeah. And, you know, that's what makes me who I am. So how, when you, how, if you could put your finger on it as you're an adult now and times have changed and you're a grown man that makes your own choices, how uh, did your childhood form who you are still now? Um, It's it, like, it kind of instilled a lot of things in me. You know, I think like, like I said, growing up as a kid, like I wasn't allowed to be sitting inside the house in the AC. Like, I mean, we, I didn't have AC as a kid. We had fans, like we wouldn't be sitting inside all day. I'd be riding my bikes around, be playing manhunt with my friends, you know, just running around the neighborhood doing, you know, whatever, we, you know, I don't not always causing trouble, but always just doing whatever we could do, you know, just hustling to get by and, you know, to have a good life, but it's, it's that I can't just kind of like that, that type of thing. Like, you know, not sitting and being lazy. We're always out doing stuff. I loved going to practice, like hockey practice, lacrosse practice, being out. And that was just my lifestyle. So it was a very active lifestyle. So yeah. once life settled down and I moved to Florida and like, I just was going to work every day as a chef. And after I graduated culinary school, you know, I graduated with a culinary degree from Johnson and Wales university as a chef, I was working. I'm like, man, like life is just like, I go to work, I come home, I eat, I go to work. Like this isn't, this isn't what I want. Like, so that's kind of how I found mixed martial arts. And yeah. it's, uh, it's an active lifestyle, I think. And it's been like that since I was a little kid and it's a little bit of chaos, but that's, that's kind of the way I love to live. So uh, I want to get to all that and how you found MMA. Cause that's pretty fascinating in its own right. Now I don't, yeah. I don't view myself as asking tough questions on the show, but I will talk about tough yeah. subjects. And you mentioned your two older brothers, right? Do, yeah, do you yeah. care? Do you want to tell that story? Cause I know that story yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So you get two no, older brothers sure. I, and they, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I had two older brothers, Dominic and Vincent, and uh, they were like my role models, my mentors ever since I was a little kid. I mean, just to paint the picture for you, picture for you, you know, my mom and dad, still together now, uh, Chucky and Mary. I have my two older brothers, Dominic, the oldest, Vincent, 
uh, old, like three years older than me. Dominic was like five years older than me, me. And then my sister, Teresa, who's like a year younger than me. And then Lucas and Francis, who's 10 years younger than me. They're identical twin boys. Like wow. my little brother. Yeah. So big family, you know? And, um, when I was like 16 and 17 years old, like, you know, I always had my little brothers up until then, until I was 17. So my whole childhood growing up with them, their friends coming over like locker box and trampoline fights. Like, you know, we had three different ages of kids, you know, my brother was probably 17. My other one was like 15 and I was like 12. Like that's the years I remember most mm-hmm. when we'd have all of our friends over and just do whatever we wanted to do. So basically, you know, they were like my mentors, my role models. I looked up to them a lot. They were good kids. They were awesome kids. They used to coach hockey. They were, they were good. And as they got a little bit older, they, they were in their twenties and I was about 16, 17. They started to, you know, get into drugs and, you know, selling weed and like doing like, you know, kind of just like street regular hustle and things that normal people do like not normal people, but people do, you know, it's just kind of like the, the lifestyle you hit Make that a age. few bucks, they start smoking weed. They start yeah. doing whatever. And when, when, um, well, then one of, you know, when they started like abusing harder drugs, they just kind of, you know, upgraded to it. And it's when I was 16, I lost my brother Vincent to a accidental drug overdose. I guess he traded some weed for like a fentanyl patch. He didn't know what it was. He just had a toothache and he just took it and then he passed away. And then my older brother, Dominic, a year later, he, um, you know, started using like harder drugs like heroin and Oxycontin, you know, it just one night he was just too much. He started, you know, he went to a couple of treatment centers before that. So he just struggled with it after losing my brother. I think it just like weighed on him a lot. Yeah. And, uh, I lost him the consecutive year after. So like those two years, 16 and 17, you know, in my high school, like junior and senior in high school was really difficult for me. Like I struggled a lot mentally, like trying to figure out why all this stuff happened. Like they were like based on my, not just my best friends, my older brothers, like that's who I looked up to. So I was like in a weird spot, like, man, I went from being the youngest brother to now I'm the oldest brother. Cause I got my two younger brothers who were like three or four years old that yeah. I to be a mentor towards them. So, you know, that kind of is what kind of got me, you know, mentally, you know, kept me mentally strong. I feel like my little brothers like held the family together, kept, kept me active. And that's when I decided to move, you know, I went to, I went to culinary school, was able to graduate through there. Cause I knew that was like the right thing to do to go to school. And then, that's when I started struggling mentally a little bit. And that's when I moved down to Florida to try to change my life. Yeah. So like, I can imagine that you can remember every single thing about finding out when your brothers. Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was devastating. It was the worst day of my life. I mean, the first one for sure, the the two worst, I guess two worst days of my life, but you know, the first, the first one I remember, my brother Vincent, when he passed, like that was, that was definitely like the most tragic moment I can remember. I remember my brother Dom being there and like being with him. And I told him like, man, I never want to lose you too. Like, uh, you like, cause I knew he was struggling with other things and he's like, no, man, I got you, you know, like I'll always be here for you. And then when that happened, I was like, fuck, like, I don't have nobody. And I, like, I just felt like that empty, but that's when I got really even closer. Well, I was always close with, with my uncle Tom, the bomb Rosa. Yeah. He like was like my rock for me. You know what I'm saying? He kind of helped together and he kind of took the role as like my older brother, which he always was. He was like the, you know, cause he yeah. was like, you know, he's always there for me. So, um, he was kind of the guy that kind of helped mentor and guide me through life until where even now I still talk to him and I'm like, Hey man, I'm nervous about this fight. I'm this. He's like, oh yeah, it's the same thing I go through. It's just you'll get through it. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. He's a great person to talk to because he's had like over two hundred fights and he's been through life. You know, it's always good to have someone like that to talk to. When stuff happens at like that 
that's heavy stuff for 16, yeah. 17 years old. Like you're yeah. just starting to try to figure out your life at 16, 17. I just remember this because I know people in high school where some things happened to them and then they dealt with like depression and it's like, they you come out on the other side, you know, but yeah. how did it change you? Like I how did it change like, the course of your life? I feel like it made me strong. It made me mentally strong and tough. It's like, I don't know if you notice it, but like the more, if you talk to any fighter, they always have something, some story like this. You're very rare that you're just going to find like a perfect fighter that just grew up perfect, normal, yeah, didn't picket fence, cold the sack, like, whatever fighters. Yeah. Don't come like from if you're just yeah. a badass fighter, you know, I'm, there's a couple that I can think of off the top of my head, but I don't know, you know, there's not really very many. It's always the ones like Diaz brothers, these guys that come through from the hardest, you know, bottoms that end up being the best fighters. And it's something that nobody can really put their finger on. You can't really figure out exactly what it is, but it's like the one sport that like, you know, the mental upbringing really makes a difference. Like in other sports, it's just athleticism. Like to be a good NFL player, you just got to be the biggest, strongest beast or basketball player. You got to be able to jump the highest, like, in, in fighting, man, there's, there's, there's an intangible that you can't put your finger on, you know, and it involves like heart and, you know, mental toughness. And that's something that it, it, it gave me, it, it just, it built me strong. And like, you know, I, I've been through some tough, hard things, like this toughest situations in life. And to go through those, when I get in the octagon, it's not the toughest moment of my life where it might be for some other people, you know, I feel comfortable there. Yeah. Um, I have in my fighter notes on you for when I've called yeah. your fights, um, that you know the story about dominic and vincent and th thanks for talking about that because that's some no, people brush that off you know and sometimes no. you want to talk about it they're tough times like my mom passed away and people was they noticed they'd shy away from talking about it or they wouldn't want to ask me about it because they think it's uncomfortable and it is in a certain way but i wanted to talk about it you know yeah. like i wanted to talk through it and even all these years later i think it could be healthy to talk through it sometimes you know yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, Dominic and Vincent, my two brothers, are the ones who made me who I am, made me the fighter I am. So I don't ever want to forget about them because yeah. every time I go in a fight, I carry each one of them, each one on my shoulder. Like I literally can feel them with me. So I feel like when I get into the octagon, when I get into the cage, like I have them with me, I'm not by myself. So I feel invincible. And that's like, you know, when the switch hits, like when that switch hits, I feel them each in my shoulder and I step in the octagon. I'm like, all right, it's time. And that's how I feel. You know, I mean, I've yeah. never, you know, every fight I'm always still standing at the end win or lose like I'm still on my feet fighting so it's yeah. like I'm always protected I'm always good yeah man that's awesome um but I have in my notes you said you were going down the wrong path you know after the death of my older brothers I started going down the wrong path and so then I kind of changed things up for you what was the wrong path it was dude, just like getting in trouble, just doing stupid things. You know, I mean, I was struggling a lot mentally, you know, like, like physically with things like it was just, it, you know, time started getting tough. Like I, I was like, you know, I was trying to find out, like, you know, figure everything out using, you know, think different things as coping me mechanisms. Like, you know, back then, like, like weed's fine now, but I used to smoke with a lot of weed, like do things like that. And then I would drink, go out with my friends and drink. And then like, I started noticing like, you know what, like, and I went to college and I was able to get through college, but man, I, I struggled a lot with all that stuff and it, it was, it was difficult and I kind of used it to cope, to get through, you know what I'm saying? Like I was almost a coping mechanism, just yeah. like, but then I realized how it was unhealthy. It wasn't helping me. It was just, you know, m making things worse. So I knew I needed kind of like a change, like of environment just cause like being around, you know, even though I love my friends to death and I still love them all now and they all have families and stuff now and times have changed 10 years ago. 
but it's like I needed I needed a change, man. I, I needed to get out of there, you know, and I needed to 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 switch things up. And that's when I moved to Florida, and then the the rest is history. Now, you know, what was um, what was what was it making tougher? You know, because like, you know, you were like these coping mechanisms of drinking and like, you know, smoking a lot of weed and whatever. But were you getting like in trouble or you get it? You know, was it like yeah, close calls? Yeah, you were like life in the fast lane. And, you know, yeah, that, you know, I I was there was like you don't have there's a statute of limitations probably, but you don't have to. Some people don't understand it, but like I had to hustle. You know, I didn't have any money. I didn't you know, I grew up, you know. I didn't, you know, I wasn't handed anything in life, you know, even though my parents were, I was at food on the table as a kid when I was living at home. But after that, like my parents, they didn't give me money. They didn't, there wasn't anything like I was on my own. I didn't have a job. Like I was able to go to college, fortunately, but like I had to, you know, to be able to eat and to do what I needed to do and live the life I I wanted and be able to have money to, you know, go get food and do stuff. I need, I needed to do what I had to do. So you know, there was many close calls. And I think the best part for me was just being able to, um, I think the best part for me was just being able to pretty much just like, you know, stay focused on, you know, there was no, it's a couple close calls, basically what I was saying, this couple close calls, the police have been pulled over this thing. Like so many times I was just, even at school, they pulled me out of school, come in my car, they start searching my car. I've had so many close calls of being arrested and going to jail for like, I still have nightmares of like that I wake up and I'm in jail and I'm like, all oh, this was just a dream. Like, and I'm just like telling everybody I had to go to juvenile in jail two times when I was 17 and 18, you know, as civil commitments, like, because, you know, the, the, I got in trouble at school and they're like, Hey, if you go to this program, which I thought it was going to be like to help me, they basically just put me in adult jail that, you know, I had to do that twice. And there was a lot of little tough times that, you know, but luckily I never had any felonies or charges. Right. Many, they came very close and I was able to either talk my way out of them or just, you know what I'm saying? Cause I was always respectful. I never disrespected any of the police or people that got me in trouble. I was just real with them and be like, Hey man, like, you know, I had to do what I had to do. So I was able yeah. to, you know, skin in my teeth, get through a lot of this stuff. and I, I made it through. So now I look at this like opportunity in life where I'm at the UFC and everything is a second chance and I'm making the most of it. So what was the, ex- what was the straw? that you know what was the last straw where you're like i gotta move to florida like did something specific happen yeah it was just it it was a lot of things you know i had a girlfriend at the time i was close with uh and it was just there actually was something that happened i went to it i went to myself to like this basically like this like kind of treatment centers type place up in new hampshire i called him myself i was having like a hard time and i just remember like there was kind of like i was doing really bad like i was drinking a lot you know, I was like doing whatever, just getting like messed up a lot. And I just remember thinking like, man, like things are getting really bad. Like if I don't change something, like I just had a feeling it was like, it's, they, they'd say like, and they, some people say like in recovery and stuff like that, like I was never huge into, you know, all that stuff. Like, but they said there's like a spiritual awakening moment where something just happens to you. And I remember I woke up one morning and I called this place. I said, I'm going to go to this place, like straighten my life. I'm going to go. So I called this place in New Hampshire. I went there. And as I'm there, the cops, when I was there, I was there for three days, you know, was staying in this place. It was like a, a, a state facility. I call my, I call my dad to come back and I come, I go back to, to come back to the house and the cops basically were raiding, raiding my house. Like I would call my dad and he's like, yeah, I was like trying to move your TV out. I was moving your stuff out of the house and the cops came and were looking for you. So they're looking for you right now. 
And I'm like, man, like, uh, this is a really tough situation. Like, he, I thought he was just saying that because he didn't want me to leave the place I was in. But then I called my roommate and my neighbor and people they are like, yeah, dude, like the police are here. They're looking for you. And basically, you know, I don't know what, like if I was home when they came, if I didn't have like that day that I just woke up and changed my life, if I came home, if I was home when they came, I'd be probably still in jail right now. And none of this whole UFC career and any of this stuff would have ever happened. So like, I look at that, like, man, like I have a second chance right now. I feel and then. I went to my uncle Tommy's house and he drove me to Florida to a place down here. And I was able to just like start my life over. Cause I figured they were looking for me up there. And you know, I was 10 years ago and I never yeah. heard from this. I think I'm good now. At least I hope I wow. am. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were on the run necessarily, but you were like, it's time to move on. They were, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I can't go back there. Like if I go back there, they're probably going to arrest me. I don't know. They were apparently like my dad said, he talked to one of the police and they were surveillancing me for like months and they had all this info on me and, I would have been, I would have been after like, I would have been in jail still. Probably. I probably would have been five to 10 years, which is 10 years ago. Might be just getting out of jail right now. So who knows? No, dude, you know, yeah. this universal consciousness that lines these things up is real. Like the spiritual yeah. awakening thing. Like I I'm, I'm a believer in it. Yeah. I'm, you know? And so yeah, this, no, like, I, I am you know. too, man. Especially that. So I don't, I haven't told like too many people that story, but like there's some people have, but like, that's what happened. And like, people don't, I don't even know how to explain it. And like, I don't know. I don't even know. And apparently the chief of police used to was like my next door neighbor where I was living. I didn't even know, but I used to be so nice. The guy I used to offer, you know, mow his lawn from or do whatever. So like, I don't know if that saved me, you know, I don't know what saved me, but shoot, who knows, you know what I'm saying? Like I just, yeah. uh, I was able to get through that and look thing by the skin of my teeth and thank God, because, you know, and then also I just remember like one of my friends came over and put a motorcycle. Was, hey, can I leave my motorcycle in your garage? And apparently like that motorcycle was a stolen motorcycle. And it really wasn't even mine. I just one yeah. of my friends like asked to keep it in my garage to store it. And I'm like, yo, I didn't, that's not my, like, there was so many things that came up and I'm like, I got to get out of here. There's like too many things on me that I don't even, I don't even know. They don't even have an answer for. I got to get out. And I did. Yeah. And luckily I got, got through it. How does this affect your um, view of life? Like a perspective of life? Because I know yeah. you to be a very upstanding, respectful person uh, from a big family from Boston. I feel like I know you, Charles, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. locker boxed and played hockey, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we're from the same state, all that stuff. Right. Yep, for sure. And to view, to have you be in that situation means that anybody can, can just go off the path. You know what yep. I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of people that can go off the path and be like, this is a good person. This is not a yep. person to judge and say, throw away the key. And we don't need this yep. person out and about. This is a person that can contribute. And actually they make the world a lot better of a place when they're at their best. We just need to help them get at their best. For sure. For sure. And I've seen, there's a lot of people like that, that I've been able to help. Like, you know, even, even my cousin, my cousin, Johnny, like, you know, five, five years ago, he was living in my house, basically had nothing. And now, you know, he's doing so amazing. He has his own business. I'm the father to his godchild. He's the happiest person. I, you know, he's one of the happiest kids I've ever seen. He has everything he ever dreamed of. And it's just like, sometimes people just need a little bit of motivation or a little like boost and they're all good people, you know, and yeah. uh, that's what it is. So the move down to Florida then, like what clicks for you? Like pretty soon you had already gone to college. Yeah, I graduated. You'd already gone to culinary school, yeah. so then you come yeah, down here. It's like time to get lined up, get a job, and yeah, you know, a new I start. A yeah, yeah, exactly. I lined up, got a job pretty quick. I, I found a, 
I basically, cause I had a culinary degree. So I'm like, I'm not going to work at McDonald's. Like I have this degree. I'm going to find the best. I was smart enough to know, like I was a smart kid, like uh, at least a hustle, like smart enough to know, like I'm going to find the best restaurant that I can find in Florida. I'm going to find the best place and I'm going to work there. So I found the best place, which was this place cut 432. It's like a five-star steakhouse, really fancy, nicest restaurant I've ever seen in my life. Never mind even ate at. And it was like, it basically like a really high upscale, like capital grill type place, you know? Yeah. And I was in this place. Nice. So I went in there and I'm like, Hey, uh, can I work here? And the ladies, the front desk is like, no, uh, we're not hiring. And I'm like, well, can I have an application? She's like, yeah, here, like you can come back tomorrow. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to walk in the back. And I walked, she, excuse me, sir, you can't go back there. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just shook her off. Walking, I'm like, yo, is a chef here? And he's like, yeah, who's asking? I'm like, me. He's like, I'm the chef. What's up? And I'm like, kind of like rude. I'm like, I just, you know, I want to work here. He's like, what makes you think you can work here? And I'm like, well, I went to culinary school. Like, I think I could work here. Like, he's like, well, do you have a passion for food? And I was like, well, yeah, I wouldn't think I went to culinary school for four years if I didn't. And then he laughed. So then he's like, all right. He kind of like laughed. <laughs> he made him like yeah. just kind of be cool, real with him. He's a guy from New York. He's like, all right, why don't you come in tomorrow? So, you know, I, I did it. I came in the next day. He had me chopping basically onions. And then when the, when the service starts, he puts me on the line like right away. Like I had no, even though I went to school, I had no idea what I was doing. Within an hour, he's like, get off the, off the line. Like just like chef style. Yeah, like, I don't yeah, know. yeah. He's like, even if you see Ratatouille, you understand. Like, uh-huh. dude doesn't know what he's doing. Like, go sit there and watch. So he made me sit there for five hours, and I watched the service from the side, like just like an idiot. But then, you know, I, I started from the bottom, and I was humble enough to know that, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And I learned. I said, hey, I don't know what I'm doing right now, but I'll do whatever you tell me to do, and I'll learn. And that really helped me because that's the way, same way I went about my MMA career, like. So, you know, after doing that for about six months, I'm like, I need to find something else. And that's when I walked and I looked for a gym and I found an, an American, you know, I, I didn't know it was American top team. I thought I was looking yeah, for a boxing right. I was looking this for is a the, like, This is the other, boxing? yeah, this is the other part of the story. I love, by the way, because we always see in movies, like, I'm going to go create myself a job. And usually you have to yeah. walk by the secretary through the double office doors of the oh, high rise yeah. office building. You just yeah. went past the hostess back to the kitchen i'm getting a job and you walked out with the job that's badass dude that's fantastic (laughs) so the the mma career though um this is another funny part too because you were trying to find a boxing gym yes wasn't trying to find right did you know what mma was yeah i loved watching my favorite fighter at the time was kimbo slice and um i loved watching hoist gracie we used to rent the uh hoist gracie thing a kid and like we used to go to blockbuster and rent all those and watch pride and kickboxing k1 i used to watch my older brother vincent all the time it was his favorite thing so that's what we used to watch a lot so like yeah that, we used so you were familiar with fighting did you ever train in yeah. combat sports though because wrestling is a winter sport so if you always played hockey um yeah the um no i i never trained yeah i used to do like japanese jiu-jitsu my dad used to take me to this place small okay. circle jiu-jitsu and we used to do this like stuff and we used to, I used to always hit the bag and box my friends, but that wasn't like no, like right. actually, so it was mostly but when just, I was actually, yeah. but actually I'm wrong. The one thing, like, I don't remember much. I do remember because the pictures and like, I do remember a couple like times being there, but when I was probably about four to 10 years old, I did karate, like Bruce McClory karate, just like straight karate. Like it yeah. was just like, yeah, like sidekicks and breaking boards. But like, I still noticed that I have that stance. Like that's the stance I'm most comfortable. And I don't know if it's because I did it for five or six years as a little kid, just standing in that stance doing sidekicks. And we used to spar with like big chest plates on and sure. stuff. And I remember making a little kid cry from sidekicking him when I was a kid. So I remember like 
doing it, but I just don't like think of it as formal because I was so young. It wasn't a big part of your, yeah, like it wasn't wasn't like in your teen years and all that. Yeah, it wasn't my teen years where I felt like I anymore knew what we're doing. The parents dropped off, they pick you up. So it was kind of like a small thing, but um, that was pretty. So you're looking for a boxing gym. You walk into American Top Team. Yep. Walking, yeah, walking American Top Team. I had no idea. It was a satellite one. It wasn't the headquarters American Top Team. It was American Top Team Boca Raton run by Charles McCarthy. Cole Miller was in there. Uh, Micah Miller, Comola's brother, uh, Todd Duffy. There was a couple, you know, UFC fighters in there, but I didn't, I didn't even know that there were UFC fighters. Like I knew what a UFC fighter was, but I didn't think like, I didn't realize. Like, you didn't think they were in your backyard. I didn't recognize them. They're, I didn't right. think they were. They weren't BJ right. Penn or George St. Pierre. Or, well, it is, or, it's, 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 it's a funny thing about the sport. I try to tell people that don't know a lot about MMA is that yeah. you can sign up for a jujitsu class and you know you're not going to be like a rolling with a UFC fighter. Chances are, but there might be a UFC fighter on the no. next mat. You know what I mean? Especially here no, in Vegas, you go I to mean, Extreme Couture, like you know. Yeah, imagine yeah, if you wanted to go there. learn to throw yeah. a football. So you show up in Foxborough, and you're like, and Bill Belichick's on that field, and you're on this field. That's you know what I mean. Yeah. He's not teaching you; it's separate. But they're right there. You know, the top yeah, level is exactly. right there. Francis Ngannou right. might be thirty feet away from but, you when you're doing a cardio but, kickboxing but class. But here's the thing, though. This was 10 years ago, so it's not like it is now. That's right. more of the case now. But when I walked into this gym, the first day, I remember walking in, and I came, rode in on my bicycle because I didn't have a car or nothing at the time. And I was like, hey, I, I want to train. And I met Charles McCarthy. He, was a four, he just retired from fighting. He just fought Michael Bisping at the time. He was in the office, and he goes, yeah, man, we actually got a kickboxing class in about 20 minutes, man. You want you want to hop in? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, I don't have any gloves or anything. or multi- Like, what do I need? He's like, well, you need a multi-piece cup and gloves, but – you can use the loaner ones right there in the bag. And, uh, you know, we have a, we have a fighter, Cole Miller. He's going to be teaching. The, he's going to be teaching a pro fighter. He didn't say UFC fights a pro fighter. Cole Miller is going to be teaching the class. So go ahead and hop in. Man. And I was like, Oh, awesome. Didn't have a mouth guard. Didn't have a cup. Didn't have hand wraps. Didn't know anything. Grabbed these old sweaty gloves in the bin, stopped in the class, did the class for about 45 minutes. You know, I thought I was like the best one in the class. I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> fuck everybody. I was like, I'd fuck everybody up in this class. Like in my head, I had no idea. And then at the end of class, Cole was like, okay, guys, everyone line up for sparring, you know? So I'm the odd man out. I don't have a sparring partner. So I'm sitting there like, yo, I came here to do this. Like, I didn't come here to do this technical bowing, friggin', you know, stretching and one, two, one, two drills. I came here to do this. Like, this is what I, well, I thought it was like, felt like it was locker boxing. Yeah, let's go. yeah. And I saw, so he's like, yeah, you know, a partner, it's your first day sit out. And I was just like, fuck this guy. I was like, whatever. So, and I noticed he was just hitting the bag while everyone was sparring. And I was like, hey, what about you? Do you want to spar? And he looked over, just like ignored me. He just like was like, and then he started hitting the back. So I thought that was like pretty disrespectful. And I'm like, yo, was that a no? And he's like, you want to spar? Let's go. And I go, yeah, I just asked you. I go, all right, let's go. Like, I was like, I just asked you three times and you didn't answer me. Now you say, yeah, okay, look back. I'm not asking you again. Like, so I went up, boom, boom. We must have sparred three or four. Like we sparred the 15 minutes, like straight. I don't even know if there's a belt. I just remember going after him with a boom, boom. I was just like fighting my heart. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I mean, I thought I was winning, but like, I doubt I was. I mean, he was nasty, picking me up, you know, if, um, by the end of it, I got a bloody lip and I'm like, man, and the class is over. He didn't say anything. He wasn't like nice or mean. He just wasn't like a punk, didn't like do anything. Class was over. And I was like, damn, you know? And then uh, Charles took me in the thing. He's like, hey man, uh, you did really good today. And I thought he was being sarcastic. I'm like, man, he's like, He's like, oh, where'd you train at? I'm like, I never trained anywhere. He's like, never trained anything before? And I was like, no. He's like, 
you never trained any boxing. I'm like, well, I used to hit the bag and like my dad did boxing, but I don't know. I never took a class. He's like, wow, man. He goes, you're super talented. He goes, I'm not just spinning your wheel, man. Like if you stick with this, you could be something, you could be good. Or, I thought he was just saying that to get me to sign up, you know? Cause I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or knock the guy out or nothing. Like I just, and he's like, well, that guy you were just going with is a top 10 fighter, lightweight in your weight class in the world right now. That's it's Cole Miller. And I was like, who? Yeah. He's like Cole Miller. And I was like, Oh really? So I didn't think much of it. I rode my bike home at night. I remember going to my computer and Google and Cole Miller and just like looking at him like, yo, this guy is in the UFC. And I knew right away, I go, this guy can be in the UFC. I can be in the UFC a hundred percent. And from that day forward, long story short, I went to that gym every single day, you know, for the two or three years, you know, until they finally upgraded me, brought me over to the main American top team. And, you know, I was the number one amateur fighter in the country, went nine and oh, as a pro first all first round finishes until eventual call from the UFC when I fought the receiver. So, you know, then I've been in the UFC for eight years since then. So basically yeah. it all started that day and, uh, you know, it was pretty special. Yeah. What a ride, man. Long story short. Yeah. What a ride, huh? Yeah. Gosh, we special. don't have time to cover the, the eight year UFC career, but I do. So, you know, then you're in the UFC and I yep. just want to, I want to get the story of the neck injury. You yep. fight Yair Rodriguez fight of the night. Was that your last one before the injury? Uh, Yair Rodriguez. No. Uh, after Yair, I fought Shane Burgos. Shane okay. Burgos. Okay. Another yep. fight of the night, right? Yep. Another Anyways, fight of the night. Yep. So point is you're in the UFC handful of fights, right? What yep. remind me how you get the neck injury. It was honestly, it happened. My, it ha I don't know. I think it was just like a buildup of things, but it was just to come, you know, I think it was overtraining. I was training the top team a lot. And I was wrestling a really lot. And it just, I think I was just training with a herniated disc for like three or four years. So I don't think it was one particular incident. I think it was just overtraining. Like I would train every single day, two or three. I would train like six hours a day for freaking seven, eight years. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and it wasn't like there's any off season, like in football and these sports, they have off season. So I'm sure it could have happened on many times on the mats. Like I don't ever tap to guillotines, like triangles. I just fight out of everything. Like I never tap, like I tough out of everything and it's probably just not good for my neck. But anyways, yeah. Like I just noticed I was supposed to fight in Japan. I was supposed to, I went to Japan, everything. And my neck was hurting me so bad. My hands were numb. I was messed up. And I went to the Japan fight and I knew the doctor told me I shouldn't fight, but I just ignored him. I was like, no, I'm fighting. Like went to Japan He's like, you have a really bad herniated disc, like you could die if you fight. I'm like, yeah, I could die if I fight anyways. Like, that's what I do. You know, it's a business, you know, I like, honestly, like I didn't really, you know, listen to him. And I went and somehow Mizuta Hirota, he, we weighed in, he made weight and he fell off the scale. He was like, well, he's five pounds heavy. I agree to fight him any way anyway, but he fell off the scale after weighing in at 150 on a 145 fight. And the fight was still on the fight day. Sean Shelby comes up to me and he's like, Hey, Charles, man, we're not letting Mizuto Hora to fight. I was like, why? He's like, he, man, he fell off the scale. Dana posted the video. It didn't look good. And everyone's giving a shit for it. He goes, the fight's off. I'm sorry. I was like, what do you mean the fight's off? Like I was devastated, but man, I think that was another moment in my life. Like one of those blessings in the skies, man. Like my, I went to the doctor like two days after that. And they were like, if you fought, you probably could have died if you took a punch the wrong way. Like that's how herniated the disc in your neck is like you're wow you can't and i didn't even spar that whole camp because i would every time i would get hit i would get like lightning bolts down my body so that one you know i went out and i got it taken care of 
didn't have to fight that fight. You know, the UFC paid me for it. They wanted to show money, luckily. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to get my neck fixed and surgery on my neck. And, man, the only thing that doesn't hurt in my body now is my neck. So, yeah. Guys, yeah. But they told you that you were never going to fight again. Yeah. So, when I went like to the you doctor. You were off that, like, you know, you, you just said, like, I got my neck fixed and now I'm good. You were yeah, off for well, two years. Yeah. So, the first guy that did my surgery, he told me. They, they said, well, the first guy I went to, he said, yeah, you, you're never going to fight again. And no, it's improbable that you'll ever fight again. And I said, and my parents were in the room. It was like, we went into this doctor's office, this big, you know, rich the doctor in the white coat sitting there in this really nice office in New York. We flew all the way to New York to the best surgeon in the world. And he sat me down and he said, you know, it doesn't look good for you, Charles. You know, it's improbable that you'll ever fight again. And I said, are you telling me? And I looked at my parents. It was like the room just stopped. Like, I would have been devastated. It was like the worst single feeling of my life. Like, it felt like the same feeling. It was like when I lost my brother. I just looked at my parents like, what do I do? And they, my, there was the one time and they didn't, same with when my brother's past. So they had to look in their face like they had no answer for me. The doctor had no answer. And then I had to come up with the answer myself. I was like, are you telling me it's improbable or impossible? Because it's two different things to me. And he said, I'm telling you it's improbable. It's less than a 1% chance. And I said, well, and like, I wasn't trying to act like a tough guy, but I go, well, I'm a one percenter. Like only 1% of the people make it to where I'm at. Only 1% of fighters make it to the UFC. And I'm a one percenter. I've been like that my whole life. I've overcome so much stuff. Like if you're telling me there's a chance, if by you coming to do surgery, then I'm going to do it. And he's like, all right, well, that's your decision. Like, if you want to take that risk and take those odds, like, I'm going to do everything I can do to help you. But just know I'm giving you your chances. Like, I'm just the doctor. I have to tell you what's up. I said, okay, well, let's do it. So we did the first surgery. Nine months. I went every single month. Every month I would fly to New York to get my neck checked. And they kept saying, oh, your neck's not fused. Your neck's not fused. And nine months, once nine months hit, He's like, yeah, it didn't fuse. I'm like, so what does that mean? He goes, well, you can't clear your fight. And I go, well, what's the other option? He goes, well, we could go and redo the surgery. And I was like, oh, a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I said, well, if that's the only option, like, what do I can do? Let's redo it. So I redid the surgery, went through it. Nine, six, the doctor said he had me back in six months. And within six months, I went to Thailand to start my training camp. And I did a whole, you know, my first, because it's more like a spiritual, like, training. Yeah. Know, get my mind right i'm cleared i finally after six months they cleared me to fight but i wanted to check my i wanted to go to thailand just to like get my mind right i lived in thailand for a month and uh you know i fell off my scooter smashed my head off the ground and i was like all right i'm good like you know, <laughs> that happened that was like literally how i knew that i was fine i freaking tumbled smashed my scooter rolled like 30 times and i'm like oh my god i'm so fucked right now and i got up and i was like you know i'm like maybe the day after i'm gonna be hurt man i was fine like and i had big welt in my head everything and i'm like all right if i can survive that fall i can survive a ufc fight and that's when i came back and i fought man bermudez at the td garden and got that first round on bar submission of the night victory it was the best moment of my life so you know it is what oh, it is <laughs> bro Crazy can make, when's the charles rosa movie coming out it's still being made bro it's still being made i still it's still i gotta win this belt first so oh. that's, that's the story and that's when the movie's gonna be made so i, I like for you to have the immediate reaction that I'm the one percenter, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm admirable of that. Yeah, because not a lot of people have. I don't know. I guess that's not usually the first reaction to have. Usually, the first reaction is fear um, yeah. for the yeah. future and and that sort of thing. Instead of the, 
immediate regroup to come up with a solution. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's, that's how I've always been my whole life. Like when I run, I've run a different, and that's how I think going back to where we started with the story, like you ask like, Oh, I like, I don't have any like felonies. I don't have any charges. I don't, you know, like I got, you know, some things when I was young, but I was always able to find a solution to these big problems I got into by think I was thinking of like when the cops are like, Oh, like we're going to search your car and do this. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa like, you know, like what's the other option? Like, do I have yeah. another option? And they're like, well you do, but you could do this, this. And then I try to sort through the best options. So it's just trying to be, you know, you have to figure things out and you got to figure out people's personalities and you got to figure out what your options are and then you can move from there. So I feel like that's something I just been blessed with, you know, being able to figure through, work through things and make decisions. But and same with like, even like going to the restaurant and telling me, Oh, there's no job offers. People would have just walked away. But I'm like, Oh, what's, is there anyone in the back? Like, I'm just going to go, if you're going to tell me, no, I'm going to, if someone tells you, no, they can't do something. Then sometimes you just got to do it anyway. So yeah. that's just what it is, you know? What is your, for somebody who has battled through as much adversity, we're almost done. I promise. Hey, Thank you for, for being around for somebody who's battled through as much adversity. I always like to leave the listener with some advice to, yeah. to live a better life, to be a little bit better, to improve. You are yep. the perfect person after what you've been through. What is like your, you know, if, if your, your, your thesis statement on like the, how well, you wish other people could improve. Well, there's one thing that I, I always, that I write, like when I sign autographs for kids, when I go to hospital, like I go to like hospitals and kids that are dying of like cancer and like these things is something I do called project sunshine. And one thing that I always write on the kids, like on the picture, you know, is, uh, is I dream big, never give up, you know, because like, if you, I just like that, if you can dream it, you can do it kind of like dream big and you never give up because if you never give up, like you can never really lose. That's even when someone loses or something, a fight, I'm like, Oh man, I lost. It's like, well, you only lose when you give up. Like if you get back and you go do it again and you win, then you're a winner again. So that's kind of what, what I live by is just never giving up. I was instilled that at a young age from my dad, you know, in hockey, like he never cared if I scored the most goals in the game, but he would always care that I hustled every play, even if we're down six goals, whatever, like he would yell at me, like, you better hustle. Or if I got like a, you know, on my report card, he didn't care if I got straight A's, but if I got like, you know, not enough effort, like he'd be more mad about that than getting an F, you know what I'm saying? So like mm -hmm. stuff like that, like those are the things that are important is put, putting in effort and never giving up. So that's kind of what I live by my motto. And I feel like if you live by that, then, you know, these things can always get better. Man, what a journey, Charles. I already liked you, I, but I like you even I more now. <laughs> no, I appreciate you, man. No, man. I, I appreciate it, man. I pride, on, I pride this on being a bit of a different conversation than most MMA interviews, most UFC no, interviews. No, this is good, man. I, mean? I, I, mean, I like to talk about my story. It's part yeah. of who I am and part of why I'm a fighter and everything. So, you know, some people get it. Some people ask, some people don't. But yeah. this is, uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm happy to share it with you. No, you can't, you can't help but get more fans after revealing yourself. And it's tough to do that. Yeah. Which, you know, there's yeah. a lot of fighters out there that have ups and downs and adversity and whatever and to really open yourself up is is not the natural thing a lot of times so uh thanks for being so candid i wish i was calling your fight again because it's always a good time yeah but uh you'll have the fellow boston guy john anik on the call next week oh yeah yeah no, uh, he's always good to me. Yeah. he's good so i mean it's a boston guy uh, more often than not right calling, calling yeah exactly no matter what exactly or, uh, or a massachusetts guy so charles i'll let you go man all the best to you thanks for for sharing the story what a story it is and uh like you said the, the book's still being written. So I uh, can't yeah, wait man. to see where it goes next, my man.
I appreciate it, man. And definitely tune in October 9th for sure. And, uh, you know, I just, just, I don't know where this is gets aired, but I want to shout out to my, my sponsors, Canico and, uh, definitely everybody go check out Chucky's fight. It's a charity. My father started Chucky's fight.com. Uh, it's helped dedicated to knockout substance abuse and, um, you know, all the money goes to people that need, you know, struggling with addiction and stuff like that. So helps people get in the treatment centers, don't have the funds to do so. So definitely go check that out. And, uh, yeah, definitely tune in October 9th and, uh, watch me be Damon Jackson. Awesome, buddy. I'll link those below in the show notes. Thank Thanks, you so much. Thanks, brother. So there you have it. Charles Rosa, the UFC featherweight, who's got a fight. If you're listening to this uh, in October of 2021, he's got a fight coming up on October 9th against Damon Jackson. He looks for back-to-back victories after beating Justin Janes earlier this year. If you remember, that was the fight where Justin Janes bet his entire purse on himself. And his coaches bet their entire purse on Justin Janes, and Charles Rosa was the one that had to play spoiler. But, you know, when you're out there, man, you can't do any favors. It's uh, it's kill or be killed, as the Diaz brothers would say. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Charles Rosa. As I said before it started, we went places where he hasn't gone before in terms of uh, where his life went wrong. And a lot of times when we talk to people, uh, we'll gloss over the details, right? I think a lot of times people... Don't want the details, number one, right? How many people are really good listeners tuning into listeners? We got things on our day. We're waiting for our turn to talk. Um, And then also, uh, you know, people are hesitant to give their details and open the book. And uh, so I applaud Charles for doing that. But, you know, when you say, oh, I was going down the wrong path, so I needed a reset. Well, that wrong path could mean a lot of different things. It could mean I was just drinking a little bit too much and I needed to steer it back. It could be I wasn't there for my family and I needed to reset. Or it could be I was arrested for a DUI or I was into hard drugs or these other things where people can go off the path. And if you just let them kind of say I was going down the wrong path, well, there's a story there. And there's a story of fighting through adversity and getting to the other side, which is certainly what Charles did. He got his way down to Florida in that way and, um, you know, really turned his life around. And so I think we can draw a lot of inspiration from somebody like that. And like he said in the beginning, to be a pro fighter, it takes a little something extra. It's not just about speed and athleticism and how high you can jump, how hard you can punch or kick the techniques of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there is something extra to being a fighter at the top level. And Charles Rosa has been in the UFC for a handful of years now, and we'll see what he does against Damon Jackson coming up. Another show in the books. I don't know if I'm coming to you with a show next week. I am going to talk to Eric Anders at some point in the next few weeks. He fights in November, but I'm working with that. Daniel Rodriguez is also on the radar in terms of lining up an episode with him. And I know he's got quite a story in and out of jail. And so we'll see what that interview might bring. And uh, I'll have to hit back Michael Chandler and see if I can get him on the show. But uh, I don't know if I'll have an episode next week because busy weekend for me, folks. I'm on the call this Saturday night, UFC Fight Night, Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker in the main event. Then I have Dana White's Contender Series coming up on Tuesday. Um, I will be doing four of the final five Contender Series episodes, and I also have a couple of more fight night calls in October. So busy month. Wouldn't have it any other way. Appreciate all of you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next time on Fitz Nation. Thank you.